Well, we have been redeemed, Father, and we have been rescued. Uh, our eyes have been opened, and for that we say thank you. We did not open our own eyes, and we did not seek you out, but you sought us and opened our eyes and enabled us to see the truth of the gospel so that we could respond. And we, we, we just shake our heads at times at the foolishness. And we look at the universities, and there's supposedly such a spirit of openness, but it's just an absolute travesty. Uh, there's not an openness. Uh, there's censorship. There's not an examination of truth. There's propaganda. And if someone holds a view that is different, uh, they, they are sent on their way. Uh, so many things have changed so rapidly uh, in this nation over the last 20, 30 years. And the decline takes our breath away. It, uh, it stuns us and it shocks us. And we wonder how long things can continue like this. But we thank you that you are still at work, and we thank you that you are still bringing people to yourself. Uh, we, we thank you, Lord, that uh, from time to time, someone will have the courage to stand up and reverse their position and, uh, and say, no, this, this can't be. There has to be an designer. There has to be a God. There has to be a supreme being. We want to say thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, and that you have given us life, that you have given us a direction, that you have given us a purpose, that you have forgiven our sin, but you've also given us a task to do. And we all come from different places, and we are all doing different things, but we are all serving you. What we all have in common is that we're all involved in a, uh, in, in a very, very serious battle and a very, very serious war. And I've just been reminded over this over the last few weeks uh, anew that, that, that this is a battle and there, there's, no, uh, there's no rest, there's no R&R. It is a continual, perpetual battle that's going on. Uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the, power, and the prince of the power of the air. And, and because we are committed to you, we have an enemy who, um, who, because of his great hatred for you, hates us. And that's why we find ourselves at time uh, under attack, and we find ourselves discouraged, and we find ourselves uh, feeling that, uh, that things are turning against us. The more serious we become about you, the more serious the enemy becomes about us. When we are just going to church and going through the motions, the enemy has already neutralized us. But when we begin to put you first in our lives and seek you first, then the opposition comes. But at the same time, we know that greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. So I pray for all of us tonight, some of us are discouraged, give us courage. Some of us have lost hope, infuse us with hope. Some of us, Lord, are just tired, energize us by what is true. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the power of your word. It uh, has the power to change lives and to change hearts, and it has the power to keep us going. It's, it's our food, it's our drink, it's our manna. And we're grateful tonight that we can open it up and feast on it. So teach us tonight by your spirit. Give every guy here what he needs tonight. Every guy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6. The passage we're going to look at is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. And oftentimes... Uh, we just jump right into the Lord's Prayer. It's something that many of us have known by heart for a long, long time. But Jesus did not just begin his discussion on prayer with the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, 
in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 9, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. But before he gets into that, if you were here last week, you know that before he tells us how to pray, he first tells us how not to pray. Uh, He doesn't want us to be hypocritical. He doesn't want us to live one way uh, from how we talk. We've all had it up to here with hypocrisy. And the people that he is using as a benchmark, you know, there are... There are two kinds of role models, and you can learn from both kinds. Uh, We all think of role models, we think of a positive role model. If you can get a positive role model, that's great. But you can also learn a ton from a negative role model. Um, I I learned a ton uh, in my first, right after we were married, the first church I was in uh, for a year, I learned a ton from, from really, quite frankly, a very, very negative situation. And uh, I, I've learned lessons that have stayed with me for the rest of my life. We all want positives, but sometimes you can learn from the negative. Well, that's what's happening in Matthew 6. First, he talks about the negative. When you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees. When you pray, don't pray like the guys who want to be religious. Don't pray. When you pray, don't pray like the guys who are praying for the approval of men. But when you pray, pray like this. And this is where he gets into it. In verse 9. And, and, and prayer is a fundamental. Prayer is one of the basics of the Christian life. Um, uh, being in the scriptures is a basic of the Christian life. Meditating and chewing on the scriptures and applying the scriptures is a basic of the Christian life. Prayer is a basic of the Christian life. It's, it's a fundamental of the Christian life. So Jesus starts out, and and what we're going to have here in in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, we're going to have basically six petitions. But when he kicks it off, he kicks it off this way. He says, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Now, our tendency when we pray is, is to go right to the matter and the concern that's on our heart. What you've got in the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is very, very brief. The Lord's Prayer is not long. The Lord's Prayer is, is uh, not something that takes 10 or 15 minutes or two hours. The Lord's Prayer, basically, uh, I think for lack of a better term, is a, is a pattern prayer. It, it is a, it's a fundamental prayer. It is, uh, it's a prayer made up, I think, of, of, of headings. It's, it's an outline prayer. When you pray, pray like this. And he's going to give us some concepts. Now, underneath each of these lines, underneath each of these headings, you can fill in the gaps. Uh, It's not real detailed. But what he's giving us are principles on how to pray and how to communicate with God. If If you're going to build a house, there are certain procedures that you follow in order to build. In other words, you don't start with a roof. You start with a foundation. If you're going to build a building, that's how you do it. You start with a foundation, then you're going to frame, then you're going to, you know. That's kind of what he's doing here. He's given us a pattern. He's given us an illustration of, of how we approach prayer and our relationship with God. And he begins with, when you pray, some translation, the New American Standard says, Pray then in this way. Some translations say, when you pray, pray like this. And the very first thing he mentions is, Virgin Mary, who is in heaven. It's not what he says. But it's amazing, isn't it, how many people pray to the Virgin Mary? Where does that come from? You know, there are a lot of people who pray. There are a lot of well-meaning people who pray. There are a lot of sincere people who pray. I, I see nothing in the scripture about praying to the Virgin Mary. There are a whole lot of people that get up early every morning and they go to Mass and they pray to the Virgin Mary or they pray to saints. Nothing in scripture about praying to saints. You got a whole lot of people across the world that uh, make sure they bow three times every day, 
towards Mecca and pray. And they're very devout. They're, they're very disciplined. They're, they're going to do it. But as we said last week, people who are Muslims, when they pray, they don't pray as Jesus said to pray because they don't pray to the same God. A lot of confusion. You hear different people say, oh, we're, we're praying to the same God. We're not praying to the same God. As I mentioned last week, one of the hallmark doctrines of, um, of Islam, and in fact it's stated at the entrance to the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, is God is not a father and he has no son. Well, here you have the Son of God telling us, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Completely different. It's not the same God. Not, not even close. In Matthew 6, beginning with verse 1, and going to verse 18, and once again, I'm, I'm doing a little review here. We pointed out last week, in those 18 verses, 10 different times, Jesus refers to God as our Father. Our Father. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven. And that's as far as we're going to get tonight. Because, see, the tendency in prayer, here's the tendency in prayer. We have stuff, we have issues, we got concerns, we got anxieties. We all do. But you see, Jesus is giving us a pattern on how to pray. And the reason that he begins with our Father who art in heaven, you know there is not a wasted word in the Bible. They all count. They're all significant. Jesus, Jesus just wasn't talking off the top of his head to fill space or to fill time. When you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. That is dripping with significance. And our tendency, uh, we, we all know that's true. Our Father, our in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom, come will be done. So we know this stuff like that, don't we? It's interesting to me that in the previous verse, he talks about when you pray, do not use, meaning, do not use meaningless repetition. Is it not possible to use the Lord's Prayer and use meaningless repetition? Sure it is. I have a default prayer at dinner, and so do you. When we sit down to eat, I, I, I can just I can begin to pray, and my head is 400 miles away. It's just, I know what I'm going to say. I mean, it just comes out. I, I, it's, just, it's just what I do. Uh, a lot of churches, it is their uh, tradition, uh, whenever they meet on Sundays, to recite the Lord's Prayer. It's possible to recite the Lord's Prayer, and, you, and, and your heart is not in it at all. And it becomes meaningless repetition. It's possible when you pray to say the first line, Our Father who art in heaven, and then go immediate to your, immediately to your concerns and immediately to the things that are on your heart and immediately to the pressures of life. And, and by doing that, you miss the key to prayer. The key to prayer is who you are praying to. Now, what does he say here? He says, our Father. Now, not everyone has had a great experience with their father. There's a book that's getting a lot of uh, word of mouth these days in the Christian community called The Shack. Have any of you guys heard of this book, The Shack? One, two. Obvi three, four, five. Obviously, it hasn't hit this group yet. It's... A lot of young people are talking about this book, The Shack. You know, like a dumpy house kind of thing, Shack. I've had, I've had th two, three people in the last week ask me about The Shack. Have you read The Shack? I haven't read it yet. So I started reading it last night. And am I recommending it? No, because I only got through the first chapter. But I will tell you this. The opening story, the central character um, that this book is about so far grew up in a home where his father was a, a, a small farming community. Uh, father took them all to church. It was just part of what they did. 
But uh, the secret was that his father, uh, who was against alcohol, uh, was an alcoholic and had bottles of whiskey hidden all over the farm. And when he got drunk, he would just beat his wife to a pulp. Well, this man grew up in a home like this. This was his experience with his father. And when he got old enough, he stood up to try and rescue his mother, and his father just beat the pulp out of him. This continued and continued and continued. And it got to a point where finally he went to one of the deacons at church and said, nobody knows about this, but this is what's going on, and this is what my father is doing. By the time he had gotten back to the house, that deacon had called his father to tell his father that his son was speaking terribly of him. So what his father did was that his father tied him to a tree for two days and beat him beyond recognition. That's how the story starts. And then when his father finally unties him, he decides he's gone, he's leaving. It's about 14. He can't take it anymore. But before he leaves, he takes arsenic and puts it into every one of the whiskey bottles that his father has hidden around the farm. And he's going to murder his father. I, I, I don't know why you guys haven't read this book yet. I mean, it's so positive. I, I had to put it down because I thought, I can't keep reading this or I'm not going to go to sleep tonight. But that's how the story... See, that's, that was his relationship with his church-going father. For, for some people, unfortunately, when you use the term our father, it's not positive, it's negative. It, 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 it brings up all kinds of emotion. It brings up all kinds of scars and residue and our father, our father. But see, note, note, note how he handles this here. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, that changes everything. Everything. It changes everything. In Psalm 119, verse 68, this statement is made about God the Father. Uh, Psalm 119, says, The Lord is good and does good. Flip over to Matthew 7, if you would. Familiar words here. Part of the Sermon on the Mountain. Sermon on the Mountain is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Same sermon Jesus says in 7, 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Now watch this. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Unfortunately, our culture has broken down to such a degree that we have fathers who, if their sons ask them for a loaf, they'll give them a stone. Now, men who do that come from homes where they had fathers who did that to them. A, a, a abusive men tend to produce abusive men. That's what happens when a culture breaks down. Now, when Christ comes into our lives, if that's been in your family for generations, that can be reversed. And if Christ has indeed come into your life, it will be reversed. Because you see, he, he tells us that old things have passed away, all things become new. When Christ comes into our life, it changes our hearts and it changes our behavior. And it changes behavior that's been in families for generations. That's how it's supposed to work. That's the power of the gospel. Uh, back to Matthew 7, verse 10. Actually, 9. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? Why? Because he is good. He is good. He, he's not against us. He's on our team. You know, one of the issues of prayer is, is that we have, we, when we come to the Lord, we come 
with different concepts of God in our minds, and most of them are wrong. J.B. Phillips, years ago, wrote a book, and the title is simply, Your God is Too Small. Just, just an excellent, small, little discussion on the character of God and who God is. But in that book, he talks about the um, perception of God that so many of us have. A lot of us have a perception of God growing up, and our perception of God is not that he's a father, not that he's a good father, but that he's a judge in his black robe, sitting behind a, a, an awesome oak desk in a courtroom. You ever been summoned to see a judge? Are, are you excited about it? Are you looking forward to it? No, you're a little intimidated. Because usually when you go see a judge, you've been charged with something. That's how a lot of us look at God. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, if you're honest, you're aware of your shortcomings, you're aware of your sin, you, uh, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you see, if God is a judge and he gives us what we deserve, if he's just, my gosh, we're in trouble. Uh, you get a summons to court in 90 days. Uh, do you usually call the judge up after getting the summons and say, hey, judge, I was just wondering if we might get together for lunch next week sometime. I just wanted to know you and get to spend some time with you. We don't do that. See, when... The idea of a judge is not someone you want to interact with. The idea of a judge is not someone you want to spend time or go get coffee with. Because you're intimidated and because you're aware of your shortcomings. And see, for a lot of people, that's the only way they ever view God is as a judge. Or others would view God as a police officer sitting by the side of the road with a radar gun. And all he's doing is he's just checking out, trying to catch you, doing something wrong. That's their view of God perpetually. But that's not the view of the Scripture. Jesus say, said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. And who is our Father? He is good, and He does good. There's an amazing statement in Psalm 57 that the more we grasp this, the more it helps us. Here's my point. If you think God is just a perpetual judge, if you think God is a perpetual police officer... That is not a concept that is going to invite you or motivate you to prayer. Because you're already guilty. But Psalm 57, if you'll turn over there, there is a nugget in Psalm 57 that I think sets us free. If we can just get a hold of it. And the nugget is in verse 9. Did I say it's 57? Yeah, no, I'm thinking of, uh, I'll cry out to God. No, I'm, I, I'm sorry, I'm 56, Psalm 56. It's Psalm 56, 9. There's a trifecta, excuse the term, and I, I confuse those, in Psalm 55 and then 56 and 57, by the way. That's just great. But I'll give you the middle one in verse 9. And, and here's, here's what helps you to pray. In Psalm 56, 9, he says, This I know that God is for me. Do you know that? See, so many of us think he's against us. So many of us think that he's displeased. So many of us think that he's counting up the shortcomings. So many of us think, I failed here and I failed here, and I've asked forgiveness here and I've asked forgiveness. I can't go back, but see, you can go back. That is the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. This I know, and, and stop and think about that. Do you know it? Do you know it? Do I know what? This I, this I know that God is for me. Most of us think, this I know that God is displeased with me. This I know that, that God is disappointed in me. This I know that God realizes that, no, no, no. This I know that God is for me. You got kids? Are you for them? Yeah, you're for them. Do you love them? You love them. Yeah. You ever give them good gifts? Yeah. In fact, some of us have given them too many good gifts. 
We love them too much. In fact, I would, I think I'm in safe territory to say, in this culture, we've probably all given them too much. Why? Because we love them. Because we're for them. Do they ever disappoint us? Yeah, but we still love them. And, and some of us, we've raised our kids and we look back and we say, oh my gosh, I gave that kid too much too fast. Why? Because we loved them. Because we're for them. Now here's the thing about our father. He never makes that mistake. He knows what we need. When we need discipline, he gives us discipline. Because it's what's good for us. If you read Hebrews 12, it says, if you've never been disciplined by God, you're probably not a son of God. You probably don't know him. Because those whom he loves, he, anybody knows? He chastises, he disciplines. That's what he does. You see, God doesn't spoil us. When we need correction, he gives us correction. When we need discipline, he gives us discipline. There are times when God lays down the law. Isn't that interesting? In fact, in fact, in the Old Testament, he laid down the law. And in this whole context of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, remember last week Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Pharisees, guys who specialize in the law. It was their whole life was the law. But you see, you've got the letter of the law, and you've got the spirit of the law. You've got to have law. You've got to have order. Where's law come from? It comes from God. But see, the Pharisees were not interested in the spirit of the law. They were interested in the, in the letter. I mean, the Pharisees, we could have imported them to Washington, D.C. in the federal bureaucratic system, right? I mean, they just love that stuff. Did I read this week that the tax code runs now 66,000 pages? Is that right? That's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of unbelievable. It's overwhelming. Is it not? And if you're a CPA, you say, amen, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. <laughs> because we desperately need you guys. And even you can't keep up with it. It's just so overwhelming. There's a spirit of law and there's a letter of the law. You've got to have law. Yeah, the law in the Old Testament. But you know what the difference was? Once again, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Well, what's the matter with the... What do you mean the hypocrites? Well, no, they were looking at the Old Testament law. No, they were hypocrites. They weren't interested in the spirit. They were interested in the letter. That's why, and once again, I'm repeating from last week, but six times Jesus healed on purpose on the Sabbath in front of the Pharisees. Why? To tick them off. That's why. Because when he healed on the Sabbath, instead of rejoicing about the man with the withered hand who was instantaneously healed, they got ticked off. Why? You healed on the Sabbath. That's exactly right. Well, who invented the Sabbath? Jesus did. He invented it. But they're ticked off because, you see, by healing, he had done work on the Sabbath. Now, you're just a worthless federal bureaucrat who happens to be religious. And Jesus said, if, if you've got a donkey that falls into a ditch, will you not pull him out on the Sabbath? Yes. You see. If you don't have any law at all, if you don't have any order at all in your family, you've got anarchy and chaos. You've got to have law. But there's the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. What was the Sabbath about? You rest and you... Enjoy God and you worship. But see, they weren't interested in that. They loved, they loved the law more than the people. They loved the law more than they loved God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like these guys. They're hypocrites. They're, doing, they're, praying, they're praying for the approval of men, you see. Listen, God is the lawgiver but he's also the author of grace, and he is my father. 
and he knows how to good give he knows how to give good gifts he's not against me do i fall short do i disappoint him yeah but you know what this i know that god is for me that's grace that's grace and what is it the enemy tries to do the enemy tries to intimidate us the enemy the enemy brings up our shortcomings. The enemy brings up our weaknesses. The enemy brings up our flaws. He brings up our tempers. He brings up all this crud. Why? Trying to intimidate us because when we're intimidated, hey, when we're intimidated by our shortcomings and our weaknesses and our failures and we think we've disappointed God, is that an impetus to go and talk to the Father? Lord, here I am again. I have this need. Would you help me? Well, no, you're not doing that. Because you're ashamed. God's not for me. God's against me. No, he's for you. Why is he for me? Because of grace. Because of Christ. I told you what John Newton put on his, what do you call those things when you die? Tombstones. I haven't ordered one yet, but, but it's coming. John Newton. I am a great sinner. And he was. And Christ came into his life. Became a pastor, influenced William Wilberforce, who defeated slavery in the British Empire. Wrote Amazing Grace. What's he put on his tombstone? I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. You know what blew him away? Not only that God saved him, but that God used him. And that God answered his prayers. Why? Because Jesus was the entrance to the Father. This I know, that God is for me. He's for me. He's not a judge. He's, he judged my sin on Christ. He put that, there is the justice of God, but that was put on Christ. Not on me. Is that not a mind blower? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? That's a mind, that's just unbelievable. Is it not? That's the gospel. That's why he's for you, because the justice that you should have received was put on Christ. This is theology. It is good, isn't it? Once again, you've got to think to live the Christian life. You've got to interact with truth. This is a book full of facts. This is a book full of truth. He's my father. Do I disappoint him? Yes, but he's good. If I'm going to be obstinate, disobedient, is he going to give me a few whacks on the rear end? Is he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is, just like my dad used to do. But he's for me. Sometimes fathers have to lay down the law. Sometimes things get a little... I can remember having... My kids are growing up now. I remember we lived in Comp Hill. I remember one night sitting down on a Sunday night and saying, we're having a family meeting. And my kids all looked at, we're having a meeting? Yeah, we're having a meeting. Why are we having a meeting? I said, because you know what? I've, you know what? I said, I haven't been a real good father the last, I'd say the last uh, 60 days. What do you mean, Dad? Well, you know what? I've let some things slide. And it's my fault. I've really let you guys down. You let us down, Dad? Yeah, I let you down. Because, uh, you know, some things we do in this house, I've kind of compromised a little bit. And as a result, uh, we're not getting along, and I don't sense the respect towards your mom. And so, you know what we're going to do? I want to remind you some things. And it's my fault. But we're pulling it back, and here's how it's going to be. And you lay down the law. And then they're going to test you to see if you mean it. Right? And you better mean it. And you better come through. And why are you doing that? Why was I doing that to my kids? Because I love them. Because I love them. I'm not trying to nitpick them. I want what's best for them. I want those boys to grow up into mature, godly men. I want Rachel to grow up into a godly woman. So sometimes a father has to lay down the law. Why? Do I love? Yeah. I remember Rachel was going through that period of time where she was probably 15. And Rachel and Mary had always been close. 
But there was this phase that started happening where anything that Mary did, Rachel would just roll her eyes. I mean, I mean, whatever she did, she just suddenly Mary lost all all her wisdom. Now that Rachel was fifteen, and Rachel had had gained such wisdom and insight, <laughs> and 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 suddenly her mother was not cool, and and it started, you know, just you know, I'd see glimpses of it here and there, and then and then it reached a point where I realized, you know what, this is getting, this is get, this this is getting out of control. So one night, I sat down with Rachel, and we were talking, and I said, Rachel, in fact, I took her. We went somewhere. I forget where we went, but get a yogurt or something. And I said, I said Rachel, I, I want to talk to you about something. She said, okay. I said, I want to talk to you about um, your relationship with Mom. She said, really? And I said, yeah. Because I, I know right now, Rachel, I, I know where you are, and I know you think mom's not cool. And I know you think mom says things that embarrass you in front of your friend. And I know you think that mom's kind of old-fashioned. And she's looking at me. I said, well, here's what I want you to know. I think mom's real cool. And I like what mom says. And I think mom's got a lot of wisdom. And all of a sudden, I see these little tears come. And she got all choked up. And I'm trying not to right now. It was just a sweet moment because she immediately knew. She immediately knew. And see, I had to lay down the law, but the spirit of the law was coming into her heart, was it not? And there was contrition, and there was a response, and she said, Dad, you're right. Okay. Into the law, right? Because you had a repentant spirit. And we had a great talk, and she went back to the house and talked with Mary. And you see, she, Now, why did I do that? Because I'm for her. Because I'm for Mary, right? You see, the, you, you got to have some law. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. But see, I was for her. Sometimes God disciplines us. Sometimes God rebukes But But you know what? He's for me. You know what's interesting to me about kids? Because this is not a passage about Listen, when you pray a prayer like this, our Father, well, what does that make us? Children. Makes us his kids, right? I remember with Josh one time, when he was just a little guy, and I I caught him in a I caught him, I caught him in a red faced, bold faced, unadulterated lie. He's probably six years old. I mean circumstantially, I mean I mean, Johnny Cochran could not have gotten him off. <laughs> this kid was as guilty as guilty. But the little, little six-year-old, he's daddy, I didn't do it. Daddy. And, and I, knew I knew he did it. But he, he just started pleading with me and this little kid and the little tears in his eyes, and he started swaying me. And I thought, wait a minute. What is this, a congressional committee? I know this kid did this. And, I, you know, isn't it funny? You discipline a kid, and they know that you're for them. You discipline them, and then you know what's interesting to me about little kids, and your little kids did this. You discipline them, and then you know what they do? They hug your leg. So I just picked him up, and it was over. It was done with. But he knew I was for him. He knew. Did that mean he never talked to me again? No, he talked to me. He talked to me the rest of the night. See, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. We've all made mistakes. We've all made errors with our kids. God has never made an error with us, ever, ever. How's my time, Lou? Have you done 15 yet? Good. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but I feel that way because I got more stuff here. Um,
here's, here's my point, what I'm trying to make so far. The reason Jesus starts this way, and when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, if, if you don't understand who he is, and you don't have a comprehension of who he is as you go to pray, and if you don't know that he is for you, and if you, why would you pray? If you're, if you're guilty, if you're under indictment, why would you want to enter into a dialogue with him? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But it's all based on our Father, who art in heaven. He's never made a mistake. He's a great God. Now, now when you say our Father, who art in heaven, see, it's good to stop and think about when you're praying. It's good to stop and think about who is your Father before you ever get to your petition. Because when you stop and think, our Father, who art in heaven, when you say who art in heaven, that changes everything. You're talking about God. All right, now stop. Follow my thinking here. See, this is why Jesus lays this out first. Our Father, who art in heaven. All right, who is our Father? What is he like? Give me some characteristics of God the Father. Give me some traits of what he is like. Give me some of his attributes. Some of you guys were in here a few years ago. We did a study on the attributes of God. And, you know, this isn't a quiz or anything, but you can give me some. He's loving. He's omnipotent. I don't know what that means, but it's very impressive. (laughs) Omnipotent means power. He's got all power, right? That's our Father who art in heaven. He's loving, and he's got all power. Now, there are fathers who are not loving, but have power and use it wrongly. Some of you guys had dads like that. But that's not our Heavenly Father. So he's loving, he's omnipotent. What else? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows everything going on in my life. Somebody else? He's sovereign. He's in control of everything. Everything. He's the Alpha Omega. He's beginning and end. He's unchangeable. He's merciful. He's just. He's holy. Now that's critical. He's holy. He's like, oh, wait a minute. He's holy. I'm, I'm not holy. The righteousness of Christ has been transferred to us. You see? He is a holy God. The central characteristic of God is not love. The central characteristic of God is holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the love of God is always expressed through his holiness. That's why Christ had to die on the cross. God is a God of justice. That's why Christ had to die on the cross. Someone had to pay the penalty. But because he's merciful, I didn't have to pay it, neither did you. Jesus took it on us. You see? So you got holiness, you got omniscience, you got omnipotence, you've got love, you've got uh, the unchangeableness of God. Uh, theologically, there's a term called the aseity of God. It means God's self-existence. God has always been. This is the mind blower to me. Is it not the mind blower? You ever had your kids say, Daddy? Yeah, uh-huh. Where, does, where did God come from? He's always been. He's always been? Uh-huh, he's always been. But where did he come from? <laughs> and that's just not four-year-olds that are dealing with that. You're 84 and you're dealing with that. Yeah, but where did he come from? He's always been. What do you mean he's always, he's always been? He's always been. Somebody, you got to have a caught, not him. But where did he come from? He's always been. That is a mind blower. But that's our God, and that's our Father. It's a pretty good Father. That's a Father. This whole thing, this whole thing is wrapped up in the father-son relationship. It's huge. It's huge. That's why when God ends the Old Testament, he talks about fathering. And I, I, I think I said, I, I think I'm repeating a lot from last week. But when you come to the end of Malachi, and then you go to Matthew, there's 400 years in between, and he, when he comes, will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children. 
This whole thing is based on a father-son, father-daughter relationship. It's, it's, it's absolutely critical to everything that we're doing here. I, I got an email from a guy a few weeks ago, and he was, he was desperate. And he wrote me this, I never met this guy, but he wrote me this email, and he was concerned, and the guy had a great heart. He was concerned about his four-year-old boy, because his four-year-old son, he felt, was not aggressive enough. And he felt that his four-year-old son was not willing to, to, to stand up for himself. And so this guy sent me, sends me this email. He said, so I'm taking my son to a wrestling class. And it's like, oh, there's a wrestling club. And so we go to the wrestling club. But the other, I'm really worried about him because he's four years old. And the other night, he got beat by a girl. And this guy in this email, I mean, you, the, the, the emotion and the, and the concern, and you can just tell this guy is all... So I sent him an email, and I said, hey, send me your phone number, and I'll call you. So he did. And I got on the phone with him, so we're talking through some of this stuff. And he said, well, I'm concerned about him because he's a real sensitive kid. And I said, well, that's good. He's sensitive. He goes, yeah, but he's, he's you know, that's, I said, and he said, I was a wrestler in college. And I said, well, that's good. He said, but, but I said, you don't really pick up he's into wrestling. He goes, no. But I want him to learn to be aggressive and all that. And I said, well, that's good. He said, so we, we, he said but this girl just beat the tar out of him the other night. I said, okay, let's think this through for a minute, okay? So you put him in wrestling class. And he's wrestling a girl. And he's a sensitive kid to begin with, right? I said, what kind of relationship does he have with your wife? He said, oh, they're really close. Oh, you respect her? And, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, you want him to respect women? He goes, oh, sure. I said, well, then why would you have him wrestle a girl? I said, when boys are put in athletic competition with girls... They can't win. It's a no win. So what's he supposed to do? Put her in a headlock, beat the crud out of her, and give her a cauliflower ear? Is that what he's supposed to do? No, he does that. He's a brute. He's a bully. And you're going to get a lawsuit from the girl's father. But on the other hand, if he's a sensitive kid and you've taught him to respect women, what's he supposed to do? Is he supposed to hit the girl? Is he supposed to put her in a headlock? He's supposed to body slam her? No, he didn't do anything, and he got beat up. He couldn't win. So why would you put him in a situation where he's wrestling girls? I mean, I didn't say it like that. I was just walking the guy through it. He goes, well, I, yeah, I, I was uncomfortable with it. I said, you think you're the only guy that's uncomfortable with it? He said, no. I said, somebody needs to say something. Because boys shouldn't be wrestling girls. Is that in the Bible? No, but it should be. <laughs> you know, it kind of is in the Bible, actually. It is in the Bible. It is. And that's the wrestling coach calling right now. <laughs> uh, you, you know what? You're supposed to protect women. Hey, you you want to raise... This, this culture has lost its mind. It's lost its mind. Uh, we're concerned about men abusing women. Well, then why put girls in a wrestling class with a boy and tell him it's okay to wrestle a girl? That's absolute nonsense. He said, well, you know, if I say something, it's going to get a lot of heat. I said, yeah, it will. But that's your job. Somebody needs to say something. And I bet you when you say it, there will be about 15 other guys that will say, yeah, that's right. I'm not comfortable with it either. And then you're going to get some yo-yos that don't like it. Uh, that's because they're yo-yos. <laughs> and so you just take the heat, you see? But you put your boy in a no-win situation. Does that make sense? I said, the other thing is, why would you... Uh, uh, so you want to help him to be aggressive, right? No, I said, that's a good thing. You're, hey, you know what? Your heart's good. You love this kid, and you want to be tuned in. That's great. Maybe you don't have to have him in a wrestling class. Maybe. You guys ever wrestle at home on the floor? You ever just do that? He goes, well, not a lot. I said, that's a good thing to do. You know, you're watching a ball game or something, get down on the floor and, and just, you know, say, hey, you know, just, just start wrestling a little bit. That's good. That's healthy. That's really good. And you know why it's good? Because you're demonstrating to him, you're demonstrating to him all kinds of things about being a father and being masculine that he doesn't even know you're demonstrating. 
When a father wrestles with a son, a little four-year-old guy, does the father have power? Yeah. Does the, does the father have the ability to crush the kid? Break his neck? Break his arm? Get him bleeding? Sure. But are you going to do that? No. Why aren't you going to do it? Because you're a father and you love him and you're for him. Right? See, when, when you play and you put limitations on your power, you know what God does? God has unlimited power. It's called omnipotence. But God has power over his power. Doesn't he? And so should we. Isn't that interesting? And see, when we wrestle our kids and we love our kids and all that, you know what? We're powerful. We're strong. We have the ability. But we don't because we put power. There's character. There, you see, there's, there's, a higher, there's a higher calling. We just don't use power indiscriminately, and neither does God the Father. I don't know if I'm making any sense. It makes all kinds of sense. But our culture has lost its cotton-picking mind. We're sending girls into combat. What happened to us? Girls. Young women. So you're getting political. I'm not getting political. You can be an idiot Republican or an idiot Democrat. And I'll tell you something else. You send a woman out there to fight for you, you're a wuss. And you're a punk. Okay. I don't know what's going on tonight, guys, but we're all screwed up. We're all screwed up. And, why, and, and we'll get into this next week while we're screwed up. We'll get into it. This is why we pray, thy kingdom come. Because when, and you see, that's what used to be prayed in this country, thy kingdom come. And, and laws, not all laws, we weren't perfect. But you know what? A lot of stuff was based on his word and his truth and his kingdom. And we don't do that anymore. You know what I found this week? Do you know that it's against the law in the state of North Carolina that if you're an atheist, it's in the Constitution of North Carolina. If you're an atheist, you cannot run or be elected for public office. If you're an atheist or if you don't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can't run and you can't be elected. Thy kingdom come. You don't believe in him? Great. But we're not putting you in office, pal. You say, no, Steve, you're getting played. I'm telling you what they did in North Carolina. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You don't believe in him? We have no interest in you being in government. Whew. Okay. But once again, I'm open to all views. And I, I just want to really know how you feel about this. I don't give a rip how you feel. That's the truth. Okay. How did, you say, what does this have to do with prayer? You know what? Uh, I, uh, hey, it's our Father who art in heaven. And when we do things his way, it makes a difference in everybody's life. We do it his way. Because he's good and he's great. Now, you know what? I got to hustle. I got off on some things I didn't mean to get off on. But I'm glad I got off on them. You know that? I just feel better. I just feel cleansed. This, this, you see this all the way through the scripture. He's my father. He's not my, he's not sitting up on the bench, you know, indicting me. He's my father. He's my father. When you pray prayer like this, our father who art in heaven, maybe you had a bad father. Let me tell you something. You got a father that loves you and sent his son to die for you. Go to Deuteronomy chapter one, real quick. This is our father. Deuteronomy chapter 1, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 1, here's what he says, verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Fathers protect their children, protect their wives, protect their families. 
just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God, watch this, this is, this is incredible. And in the wilderness, they were in the wilderness 40 years, and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. You see what God's saying? Who's our God? He's our Father. And you know what God says? Hey, I carried you like a father carries a little boy. Anybody in here got a little boy? Little guy? Two, three, four years old? Anybody? I saw a hand. Where, where did I see a hand? Right there, green shirt. Tell me your boy's name. Keith? Ethan. The hearing's going. Sorry. How old's Ethan? Ethan's 10. All right. When Ethan was a little guy, two years, three years, they would just pick him up and carry him. I'm walking in the Tom Thumb yesterday. This guy's walking in front of me. He's probably 28, 29. Looked like an offensive tackle. Big sucker. Got this little kid, maybe two, two and a half. He's just carrying him. He's walking in there, and they're kind of juking around as they're walking in. And he's walking in, and he'll act like he's dropping him. You know, he'll drop about six inches. Little, and the little kid, just he's just laughing from, from his gut. Just laughing out loud because you know what? He knew his daddy wasn't going to drop him. He was walking in the store with his daddy. I carried you like a father carries a son. That's our father. Go to, uh, go to Psalm 28. See, see, when you start getting this, you'll pray more. You'll pray. You'll run to him. Psalm 28. Uh, Psalm 28, verse 8. says, The Lord is their strength, and he is a saving defense to his anointed, to his people. Why is he a saving defense? Because he's for you. All right? The Lord is their strength, and he is a saving defense to his anointed. Watch this. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also, and carry them forever. 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 You know what? He just keeps carrying us. He just keeps carrying us. He said, well, I'm an adult now. Yeah, but you need him to carry you. Because the stuff you're facing and the stuff I'm facing, you know what? We're not strong enough. We don't have what it takes. That's why we get overwhelmed. That's why we get depressed. That's why we get frustrated. That's why we get angry. Because we don't know how to do this stuff. But you know what? you got a father. And what's he doing? You know, he just, he just hey, you know what? Hey, come here. Come here, son. Come here. He's just carrying you. Come here. Let's go. That's a God I'll pray to. Our Father, who art in heaven. Now go to Isaiah 46. I love this. I mean, this, this is all time. Verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. Watch, watch this. Watch this, guys. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. You know, why, you know why you exist? Because he willed for you to exist. That's why you even have life. You've been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb. Now watch this. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. And I will bear you, and I will deliver you. That's unbelievable. That's just flat out unbelievable. He's my father. And you know what that means? He's going to take care of me. He's going he's to make a way. He's going to provide. Why? Why? Because he's for me. He's for me. And even the stuff that happens in my life that's hard and difficult, it's for my benefit and it's for my good. Now that's a God I can approach. He's not mad at me. He's not angry. 
He's not ticked off. He's not looking to, he's for me. When you pray on your way home tonight in the car, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, who art in heaven. And just stop right there and think about these scriptures. And you know what's amazing? You know what's amazing? If you think biblically like this, as you approach him, before you even get to your request, your anxiety level is going to drop because of who he is. He's got it handled. He's got it wired. He's in charge. You know what I was doing this afternoon for an hour? I was walking around my pasture working off these verses because I was fighting off some anxiety. So you know what I'm doing? I'm walking it off. I'm thinking through these verses. Our Father. Our Father. What happened to my anxiety? Let's pray. How grateful we are that you are our Father. Not by our choice, but by yours. You have adopted us into your family. And we simply say thank you. Lord, help us to enjoy our privileges as sons, because we have them. Help us to enjoy them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.